Welcome to Maniacally Midwest, a true crime podcast. everyone we're back nobody had covid or bathtubs fall through the ceiling this week so we're here on time it's exciting stuff somebody's dropping stuff above me so i don't know what's going on up there but ryan yes i'm well my office is right below the kitchen now and it's very loud anytime anybody does anything I'm discovering. So yeah, anyways, hello everybody. Uh, for those of you not familiar, I'm Chloe. This is my co-host Katie. Hello. And this is Maniacally Midwest. So every week we pick a different crime. One person picks a crime, presents it to the other one, and that person has no idea what the crime is. So we get to react along with all of you lovely listeners. So this week, Katie is going to be presenting. I believe we're back in Wisconsin, the motherland. <laughs> we we are back in the motherland. Sorry, guys. I was just telling Chloe before we started recording that, like, for whatever reason, Wisconsin and Michigan are the ones that we just keep gravitating to. But this one was, like, I couldn't pass it up. Once I read it, I was like, I need to see more i need to find more about this so yeah with that being said this story i'm going to give you a little background it's going to start in manitowoc wisconsin um we touched on manitowoc a little bit before when we were doing the the episode with hgo hans graves and omens for the randall woodfield case the one about the guy who the packers drafted and then cut who ended up being a serial killer on the west coast um um, i wouldn't say that manitowoc was super well known before it's kind of it's a city on the lake uh but then in the 2000s when netflix made the documentary making a murderer about stephen avery that's kind of when they came into the spotlight listen though we gotta give charlie Barron some credit too for the manitowoc minute okay Okay, but making a murderer was pre-Manitowoc Minute. So. Yes, but he's continued to put Manitowoc on the map, okay, and in a much better light, might I say. I, if you guys haven't, if you're listening to us and maybe you are not from Wisconsin, because I feel like in Wisconsin, everyone knows who Charlie Barron's is. Mm-hmm. I even feel like, because he does tours, like he- comedy tours around the Midwest and probably even outside of the Midwest. Yeah. Um, if you don't know who Charlie Barron's is, you should check him out. He's Manitowoc Minute. He's got like this little newscast thing is kind of how it started, but he's kind of broached out from there. He does like skits about like learning how to drive in the Midwest or recently he did like a little skit thing where he says that he is the assistant manager at a fireworks store, which all of them are spectacular. I feel like he really kind of captures the Wisconsin niceness, which is not, I mean, okay, very nice people, but sometimes there is like an irritation in our niceness, like an irritated undertone, even though we're being nice, we're kind of aggravated, but we're still being nice, but annoyed and being nice. Anyways, check him out. He ends every Manitowoc Minute episode with, go pack go and f the bears which is just really even if people don't say it that is the sentiment of people of wisconsin or when you're sending people out of your house you say like oh watch for the deer that's (laughs) very wisconsin they'll get you they will get you so anyways yes he he is the gem of wisconsin and i actually think Maybe I'm wrong. I think he was married to Miss Wisconsin for a while. Charlie? Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. What? I didn't know he was ever married. We're yeah. going to have to do 
been digging on this. Also, if he ever wants to come on, he's very welcome. Him and Shane, those are our top two Scannies that we would love to have be guests. I, I would die if Charlie Barons came on. But like, as far as I'm concerned, he's as far out of reach for me as a Brett Favre guest spot would be. So he is a gem of Wisconsin. Not that Shane is not a gem of Wisconsin, but I feel like he seems like more down to earth. He's not like doing these tours. You know what I mean? Definitely. He's in demand. Shane is a gem. And also he's bringing a lot of spotlight onto people who have like anxiety and stress related disorders because people have made fun of him so much for his behavior on Love is Blind, which at first glance, it is funny, right? But then when you realize that it's a person who has cameras following them nonstop, is under a lot of stress. I mean, at first I didn't know if maybe he had Tourette's or something that was the stress was amplifying because there was a lady on 90 Day Fiance who had Tourette's. And while she was on the season, she was saying that the stress would make her tics go through the roof. So he... I feel like at first he laughed at himself, and then when he realized that everyone was making him a joke, he's kind of turned it on his head, where he's like, yeah, no, that actually isn't funny, which is a fair point, because things that start out good-natured, when everyone kind of jumps on it, you're being kind of a D-bag. No. So, also on his Instagram, if you check it out, he goes to a lot of supper clubs, which, perfect. But... Back to the story at hand. It seems as though he's spending a lot of time in De Pere. So, folks, if you're looking for Shane, looks like he's hanging out in De Pere a lot where he's from, which is the Green Bay area for those of us who don't know. If there's someone from Illinois that's like, where is that? I want to meet Shane. Green Bay. Go to the Green Bay area. De Pere is right there. So hit up a supper club and maybe you can meet him. <laughs> Perfect. Anywho, back to the case at hand. Um this is in Manitowoc, and this is where the star- story of the Coons family starts out. So the family was compromised of Anna and Ignatz Coons and their children, Helen, Irene, Clarence, and Marie. They okay. also lived with Mary, who was Ignatz Coons's mother, and his brother, Jay Wenzel. One of his other brothers had been admitted to the Northern Hospital for the Insane a few years prior due to acts of aggression. Oh, boy. One night in 1905, Jay Wenzel, oh, <laughs> yeah. Wenzel bludgeoned Mary, who was 70, to death with a flat iron while she slept. Oh. I'm not exactly sure what a flat iron is. It's some kind of tool. I don't think, like for us today, a flat iron is a hair straightener. I don't think that's what he had. That's what I was wondering. Is that maybe like, you know, like the clothes irons? I mean, I kind of wonder, they used to be made out of like that heavy material and you would set in a fire and take out. I kind of think maybe that's it, but I might be wrong. If anyone knows, send us a message, let us know. But either way, he beat her to death while she slept. Yikes. During this violent attack, the entire family was roused from their sleep to witness this horrible act. Wenzel ends up being admitted to the Northern Hospital for the Insane, where his brother was also housed. So. Yeah. If you're thinking, holy crap, we're, we've already started the case. This is just the background. I'm just giving you the familial background. So, oh boy. Um, obviously, the Coons family was kind of like, screw this. We're a social pariah of Manitowoc. We need to dip out, which I get. Even if you don't feel yeah. outcasted by this crime, like you don't want reminders of it either. And that would be what that place was. And mm-hmm. I can imagine if you're Ignatz, the sole brother, <laughs> the town's eyes would be like, hmm, this is the one Kuhn's son that has not yet been institutionalized. Are we waiting for the other shoe to drop? I feel like I would want to leave too. No, definitely. That would be awkward. <clears throat> yeah. So they decided to get away from Manitowoc, <clears throat> excuse me, in 1914 for Athens, Wisconsin. Athens is about a half hour west of Wausau area and approximately an hour east of Eau Claire. It has a population of just over 1,100 currently. So I would imagine that in 1914, it was an even smaller town. Teeny, teeny, tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Very small. 
Now, part of the draw for the family to go there um, was that they had been drawn in by the lure of farming. So during this time, there was a lot of money to be made in farming. <clears throat> While we were in a time of war, and there was even more money being offered by the government to encourage farming because of like the the war going on, Great Depression, et cetera. Oh, so right. there was a federal incentive, but also the price of agriculture was skyrocketing. So you like double up those two. And it was kind of like a early 1900s gold rush to try to get into farming. Okay. So they ended up buying 108 acres in Athens and it was super cheap. Lucky. Um, but they kind of got screwed. So they were told that this huge parcel was an abandoned farm, but in reality, it was land that was used and ditched by Wright Brock Land and Lumber Company. So, so it was not good for farming, basically not super fertile Well, soil. the f fertile soil wasn't necessarily an issue, but if anyone has ventured up to like northern Wisconsin or northern Michigan and seen areas that were used for lumberjacking it wasn't just a fashion statement you'll see like a lot of trees that are planted in straight rows like where if you look in the forest it's like looking down a walkway so if you check out the areas that like lumberjacking companies have left it will be a bunch of stumps so yeah. it's not a fertility issue but you have to have the money to rip up all these stumps which then would have been thousands of dollars that they didn't have. They had pooled their life savings. So at this point, it's grandma and grandpa, like Ignatz and Anna, Helen, and her three siblings. So they were pooling their life savings to buy this property. And I, the, they don't say this, but obviously it was sight unseen. Otherwise, they would have seen that there's a crap ton of stumps, right? Well, exactly. That's what I was just going to say. The land is unfarmable as it sits, and they can't come up with the cash to make it farmable. Now, the land that they had like hung their hopes and dreams on is basically a money pit for them as far as investing in it goes. That so sucks. it really does kind of suck. Um, I feel like you see this stuff a lot with like gold rush things in the West also. Like people know that this is like a giant move for it and people get taken advantage of. Yeah. Now to say that Athens would like tense after they moved there would be an understatement. They're a very tiny town now and even more so then. Any person from a small community can attest to that there's very much like an inner circle of people who are the lifers in a community. Yeah. And it can be really difficult for people in that area to be welcoming to outsiders because what is known is safe and what is unknown is threatening just because it's unknown, not because they've done anything really. Mm -hmm. But then on the Kuntz side of things, this family felt super snaked by this area for being sold some garbage land. They yeah. had hung everything up on this property and they had a difficult time prior to this was like their hopes and dreams. And then it was supposed to be their pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And it was just a pot of shit, basically. Like, I don't oh, think that I... Sad. It, it is. I don't think that I'd be super happy with the community either. Um, It wasn't obviously the entire community's fault. But, like, when one person screws you over, especially in a small town, it's kind of like, what kind of people are these? Yeah. Like, that this happened to me. They must all suck. So mm -hmm. it wasn't a great situation. Um, and the Coons family lived a super isolated life. They stuck to their property and to themselves, and that was it. The community whispered about them because they were almost non-existent in the area and seemed to live in the past. What little they saw of the family, they wore outdated and worn out clothing. I mean, as humans, we're kind of buttholes. Even the nicest of us do notice when people just like kind of don't quite fit in. Yeah. So it's also, this is a rough time in our country. You a-holes, they have no money already because of this shit land. And then, like you said, like we're in the middle of the war. They're about to go into the great depression. Like, I mean, 
There were a lot of German people that lived in Wisconsin and settled in Wisconsin, but considering the time frame, sentiments towards German immigrants was not always great, especially during the world wars. So I don't know if their heritage also played into them not being liked. I don't know the makeup of that community. Keep in mind that this family barely scraped by. And the way they made money was selling cars. <clears throat> they essentially ran a salvage yard, a cash business, and that was it. I was going to say, they're the original Averys. Look at them. Well, it is kind of interesting that you can draw like a line from them to them because like I mentioned that they came out of Manitowoc and Stephen Avery is kind of what put Manitowoc on the map as far as like Netflix and that whole documentary goes, even though the documentary happened long after all of that happened. Mm-hmm. They had very little outside world contact, and they didn't require a whole lot of money because they didn't have a lot of modern day comforts that required their income to be much or even really consistent. So, we're going to fast forward to July fifth, nineteen eighty-seven. Anna and Ignatz it? are oh, dead. It's the sixth. Wait, what? <laughs> well, I it, we went from nineteen fourteen to nineteen eighty-seven. They were adults. They were their grandparents. So. Okay. Okay. They've passed away long ago. They didn't pass away on this date, but they're no longer part of the cast and crew that make up this. Kenny Coons, who was Helen's older son, came to the family home. His house was a trailer on the property because they had a hundred, what did I say? A hundred eight acres. Yeah. He had a trailer. And he decided to come to the main family house to check on his entire family. And as soon as he came into the home, he found Mary Kuntz, 72, his aunt, dead in the entryway. She'd been shot in the head with a 22 caliber rifle. What is with people in this family dying being murdered in their 70s that's such a long time to go in your life what a terrible way just let these people live it out to the end die peacefully well yeah yeah i don't know uh randy his younger brother who was 30 lay dead in the kitchen with the same fatal shot clarence 76 his uncle was shot in the head in his bedroom, and Irene, 81, his other aunt, was found. She had met the same fate sitting in an armchair. So oh, my God. It was a lot. But Kenny could not find his mom, Helen, who was 70 at the time, anywhere. For the first time, the community was given a glimpse into this reclusive family's home. And they saw things that would shake people up. Obviously, when I say the community, they didn't invite the entire town, but the police were called. Right. And as they investigated the crime scene, they made a lot of discoveries. So I, I mentioned that they weren't into modern comforts, but no one guessed that the home would not have any indoor plumbing. Well, our story did begin in the early 1900s. This point, it's 1987. And even in. Right. So the other thing was the heat source for this family home was a single wood-burning stove. Which I could get over that, okay? When we lived in Colorado, we had a wood-burning stove. That was not our only mode of heat, but like a lot of places, like the cabins and stuff, that's a thing, okay? But no plumbing and then the just having... there. Okay, there's a lot of houses in Bosnia that have wood-burning stoves. Right. I would say it's more common in older houses than newer ones. Yeah. And this probably was an older one, but I'm also thinking about this is in northern Wisconsin. And actually, this is like an hour away from my family's like lake house. When I say lake house, it sounds fancy, but it's a one bedroom cottage built by my great great aunt Gert in the early 1900s. But we do have a heater and we do have indoor plumbing. I was just going to say this situation. (laughs) So, but I up there it gets really cold like i've gone up there in like late september early october with my dad when he would want to go hunting like not deer hunting i wasn't in november it was early fall like 
rabbit, squirrel hunting, things of that nature, or to close up the cottage because we actually turn the water off because of how like bitter cold it gets. We winterize the cottage and then that's it. But it's really cold even with that heater going. So I can't imagine that that was great for them. Right. In addition, they appeared to be hoarders and there was stuff everywhere, trash and just general filth. Oh, boy. Which, this is my worst nightmare. You know, like, I have two kids. Sometimes my house looks like a bomb went off in it. Even past being murdered, I think that I would be really upset if police came in and they were like, oh, my God, this place is messy. Be like, can you not be a butthole and just clean up? Do we have to embarrass me on top of this? I just got murdered. You think you would be mortified? Mirza's ghost would, like, come back and be like, (laughs) at everybody if you guys got murdered and the house was dirty nobody would ever live it down even in the afterlife <laughs> that's true mm-hmm. yeah so now last but not least the biggest ball buster of them all is coming oh boy in their living room was a giant stash of porn not stashes and hidden just out there in the living room. So they okay. didn't they didn't have mo- <laughs> they didn't have modern comforts like an indoor toilet. <laughs> but they did have a TV and a VCR and had a crap ton of porno videos and magazines in oh, the living room. I thought this was just I was envisioning like magazines, but that's hilarious that they didn't have plumbing but they had like a VHS. Yeah. Both. So this bizarre discovery was kind of backed up by store clerk who said that Helen had bought a toaster and she was like super pissy that day and said she was pissed because her family watches dirty movies. That's an interesting um, family activity. Well, exactly. I mean, I'm not like into kink shaming. It's none of my business if someone does or doesn't watch porn, but like watching it together as a family seems weird. That's what I'm saying. Watching it by yourself or with like your partner, that's one thing. Borderline incestual, right? Oh yeah. That's definitely like cousin fucker status, I would say. (laughs) That's what I would classify that under. Which brings me to my next point. Oh, okay. Helen had two sons. Mm Mm-hmm. Kenny was in his 50s at the time that he found them, whom Helen had at 15 and Randy was 30. But for people who never left their house, who was the dad? uh, Yeah, where'd they come from? So when Helen was 15, she had accused Frank Gums of raping her and he ended up being convicted. And the Gums family was super pissed at her for tarnishing their name. And a lot of people speculated that that was made up and that Clarence, her brother, was the father of the children as they had an uncomfortably close relationship. Yikes. Randy and Helen, Randy was her adult son, slept in the same bed in a bedroom. And Clarence, Marie, and Irene, brother and two sisters, all slept on the pull-out couch in the living room together. Awesome. So, I don't... There's a lot to unpack there. It's making me itchy. I'm getting... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thinking about this. I also point out the fact that they all slept together on the pullout couch in the living room where there was like crap ton of porn. So, yeah, and presumably watched it together. Anyways, at this point, there was a lot of speculation starting to come down on Helen because she had purchased some 22 caliber ammo a few weeks prior to the murders, and I told the clerk it was for some blackbirds that kept bothering their property. Okay. But now she's gone and her whole family's dead. Right. Kenny, though, was pretty steadfast that it could not have been her. She was 70 and she had a lot of trouble getting around on her own. And he was like, there was not any way that she was physically capable of doing all of this to them. Okay. So he kept on people that she was kidnapped for sure. And people in the community wore Where's Helen t-shirts. And they searched the area. And for months, they came up with nothing. The police were kind of perplexed. In addition to Helen disappearing, they had found in the clutter and mess 
stacks of cash in the house amounting to like 20 grand. What? So it wasn't a robbery. Yeah. But there was one lead that they had. On July 4th, Christopher Jacobs III came by to buy a car from Randy. Okay. So six months following the discoveries of the body, they got a search warrant for Christopher Jacobs' property. And there they found the car that he had bought from the Coons family, mm-hmm. two twenty-two rifles, ammo, some shell casings, oh. and, and a newspaper clipping about the murder of the Coons family. All together? I mean, I guess they didn't say it was all together, but. Oh, okay. I thought, <laughs> well, I just, it sounded like it was like, just like a pile of all that stuff, like, like I'm assuming not. I'm like, assuming like when they tossed the house, they found those things. Uh, Maybe they were all together. I don't know. He had them scrapbooked. The used shell casings next to the clipping. I don't know. Right. Like organized them like artistically. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not great, but that's, that's circumstantial at best, right? Right. In the car, though, they found a receipt for tires. Which is also very circumstantial, but seems suspicious as the only evidence left at that crime scene was... Tire marks? Tire marks and shell casings. Right. So, but on the other hand of things, 22 is pretty common, especially in rural areas, like for hunting or just like shooting a raccoon or something that's bothering your crap. I would guess that half, if not most of the people there owned a 22 rifle. Like that's not really that like special. Um, and it's also worth noting that neither of the 22s that he owned were determined to have been used in the murders. So okay. nine months after the murders, Helen's body was found near a swamp in Medford, Wisconsin. Oh, boy. Which is pretty close to Jacob's farm. Hmm. So that's weird. He ends up getting charged with the family murders. And uh, during the trial in late 1989, the prosecution pointed to their biggest evidence that the tire tracks matched his truck that were left on the family's property. The jury was shown footage of the crime scene, uh, which was, I mean, okay, you see the murders, but you also see the state of the home and all the stuff going on around it, which my personal opinion, the prosecution did not really do themselves favors by doing this. Right. And after just a few hours of deliberation, he was acquitted. There's a speculation that the jury, like, there was no way for this to be a trial, that the jury wasn't going to be, like, tainted in some way towards the victims because they were the weird people. I mean, I don't want to be mean to people who were victims, but they were the weird people. They have this possibly incestual thing going on minimally super weird and uncomfortable for anyone to think about an entire family especially let's put it in perspective randy was the only one who was under the age of 70 all these really old people watching porn together in their living room i think anyone's gonna be like yuck it's uncomfortable so people think that the reason he was acquitted is just because uh, There is no such thing as a good victim. I think that we talked about that when I did the case um, in Iowa with the lady who had ties to the KKK. But it is easier for people to escape justice when victims are worse, which is really a travesty and a shame as far as our judicial system goes. Right. It shouldn't be personal feelings, but unfortunately those do get brought into things no matter how untainted the jury is mm-hmm. so that was it for jacobs for a while but in 1993 so four years after he was acquitted okay. stacy weiss who was jacobs ex-girlfriend came forward with information saying that he had confessed to her in 1991 that he had killed them because he had to prove to himself that he was a man after he and Randy had gotten into it over the car purchase. What? Oh, I don't know. Maybe he felt like Randy was being too strict of a negotiator. I don't know what the crap went on, right? 
That's what I'm saying. I, men are weird about shit sometimes. So let me tell you, a woman would not have come to this conclusion. All right. We're not wired like that. But, but anyways. Listen, I could go on a whole rant right now about the fragile male ego and how I think that a lot of gentlemen, I mean, probably with the exception of any male listeners we have out there, deserve to be crotch punched super hard until they come to their senses, until the blood can flow back up to their brain and they can get their shit together. But I'm not going to go there because I will start screaming and I will throw my computer across the room. So, so we'll leave that yeah. one for <laughs> We'll leave that for another day. Now, Stacy was called a scorned lover uh, by his defense okay. and was painted as bitter and just trying to ruin Jacob's life. But her testimony ended up being presented at trial. So another thing that the defense said was that she was just trying to better her circumstances as she was currently in trouble for robbing a bank. (laughs) Oopsies. How did that happen? Maybe they were closed and she thought they were open. Who knows? But something doesn't look good. Anytime that you have someone coming forward saying, I have this information and it kind of looks like they're trying to get a leg up on a better deal. It does always kind of bring into question is this legitimate or they just are trying to avoid being in trouble? But regardless, trial needed to happen. Like the area felt like some person had gotten away with committing five murders. Right. Which and, is also scary. I mean, to be fair, if you live in that area, even if those are the weird people, you don't want some mass murderer out on the loose. Well, and when he was initially have thought to commit this murder he was 23 so he was relatively young oh wow yeah yeah the authorities kind of had to be creative about or not authorities but the prosecution had to be creative about how they were going to put him on trial because he had already been acquitted and double jeopardy prevents him from being tried for the same crime multiple times if you get a mistrial You can be tried for the same crime as many times as there are mistrials. But if you are found not guilty, that's it. OJ Simpson. You can write a freaking book telling people how you did it. How I would have done it if I did it. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, there are things to keep in mind that civil court is different than criminal court. But as far as criminal court goes, if you are found not guilty, that's it. And the bar for being found guilty is much lower for civil court than criminal court, which is a whole thing about like the OJ Simpson stuff, how he ended up being found like liable basically for Nicole Simpson's death or Nicole Brown, I, I guess. Tell you, so our old roommate, his brother <laughs> was in prison with OJ and they were on the same softball team. Stop. <laughs> Because this was after, remember when OJ went to prison in like- For Vegas? Yes, first like stealing like all the sports memorabilia or whatever he did. So anyways, that's my fun fact (laughs) today. Evidently, he's a hell of a softball player. (laughs) What a guy. The juice. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So they ended up deciding that what they were going to do- is they were going to charge him with kidnapping Helen because that's not something he had been charged with initially. He couldn't be charged for any of the five murders, which he had done. Right. So, and this charge ended up coming in a mere hours before the statute of limitations would have prevented it because murder has no statute of limitations. A lovely thing about our criminal justice system is there's a statute of limitations for kidnapping. Statute of limitations for rape. It's really fantastic. The only thing that you have an endless amount of time to charge someone with is murder. You know what? I should cut my tongue out because I am about to go on a whole. I was going to say, this is bringing, we're circling back to our previous topic. But anyways. Anyways, yeah. So that's pretty scandalous, though. They just made it for the statute of limitations. Yeah, which is it kind of goes into if, I mean, you can be American and not really understand the criminal justice system, but also if you're one of our listeners that's outside of the U.S., um, it is kind of 
there's two tactics to charging someone with crimes. Sometimes they throw as many charges as possible, knowing that some will stick, some will fall off. But then there's people that will withhold charges because on the off chance that they are like found not guilty for this, then you have another crime to come at them for. Whereas if you charged him with kidnapping, murder, robbery, et cetera, et cetera, and he's found not guilty, you have zero options left. I don't know that this was that approach <laughs> or if they were like, oh, actually, we didn't charge him with that before. So I guess that's fine. Like, I don't know that that was like an actual tactic that they used, but. Right. But that is a possibility. Yeah. In 1998, the jury only took a few hours and they found him guilty and sentenced him to 31 years in prison, which is a pretty long term that's for like just kidnapping. kidnapping. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously they knew underlying that it was the murders that he was found not guilty for, which, listen, I'm happy if you killed five people, you deserve as much time as possible. But I don't really know how I feel about, like, applying the sentencing to something that he was found not guilty for to the thing he was found guilty for. Like, that seems kind of like a loophole around actually the way our justice system is supposed to work, but... What else? Well, exactly. So, on February 4th, 2020, Chris Jacobs was set to be released on parole from the Columbia Correction Institution. But instead, he ended up at the Marathon County Jail for a rule violation. Um, well, I he says that he did not want to be released on parole in Wisconsin because he was scared that there was going to be police retaliation against him. So he basically, have you ever heard of like homeless people trying to break the law so they have a place to sleep or whatever? He ended up doing that in order to like not be out on the streets and be harassed by authorities forever. And actually in 2018, he had previously petitioned a judge to shorten his sentence so that he could leave Wisconsin once he was released. Like, instead of being released on parole, that he was, his sentence was done and he can leave. But right. that was denied. And in 2020, he did not even want to meet with his parole officer and said he would rather just serve out the rest of his sentence. Oh, wow. So, that is the case of the Coons family murders. Um, I Do didn't. Do think he really did it, though? I don't know that I'm super convinced. He what was, like, that, the motive? He says that he didn't, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if someone has the motive to do it, I guess it's him, because this family just didn't really have anything. He was one of the few people that they had contact I'm with sorry. on a somewhat regular basis. And their house yeah. wasn't robbed. And... Kenny Coons was left alive. He was on his yeah. house. So, like, I, I don't guess know. it makes sense. It's just, that's just wild to me to go out and kill five people over a car deal gone bad, basically, that you weren't, like, happy with. Which, it seems like he took the car home and got the car, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's like, what happened? Did you overpay? I mean, like you were saying, like, just, it's, the thing seems a little excessive, if you ask me. Well, uh, the reason I think it was excessive, I can understand killing Randy, right? Yeah. That, that logically makes sense to me. He pissed you off in negotiations. But you went on to kill 70-year-old, 72-year-old, 76-year-old, and 82-year-old, I think. Those were the ages. Yeah. Most of those people are deaf and blind, right? <laughs> You've been yeah. to a nursing home. It's not like they're coming after you. It sounds like most of them had mobility issues. Right. So those four people, it's kind of senseless. I don't, like you could have shot this guy out in the front yard. I mean, police are going to come looking at you anyways, but they did that this way because they knew you were looking at the car. So you just added like four other murders onto your possible sentence. He ended up getting away with it. But I mean, or what if it was someone in the Gums family who was still pissed about Helen? That's what I'm saying. I feel like there could have been just like some other weird or what if it was 
Randall because he figured out some crazy family secrets or something. Who knows, man? Because it sounds like they were into some wild and crazy stuff without plumbing involved. I'll tell you that much. I don't know. The other thing is, is if Helen was a part of this, why would she be pissed off that everyone's watching dirty movies and tell someone about it? Especially when they didn't really trust anyone. There's a whole bunch of weird stuff. And I have already informed Mirza because next week we are going up to our cottage in Northern Wisconsin. Oh, are you going to take a field trip? No, I'm, it's on the lake. I want to be on the boat. I want to be just chilling like a villain. You don't want to go look at murder houses? Mm-mm. But so I, well, I wonder actually who all, Kenny Koontz was 50, 55, in his 50s in 87. So he's probably in his 70s. I don't know if he has kids. Hold on. I am stupid. How would he be in his 70s? I was born in 88 and I'm 34. I was going to say, I think the math's a little bit off. I think he's a little bit older than that. Listen, I'm living in a fantasy world. I refuse to admit that 87 was 35 years ago. Oh, no. This will tie into our hot topic for the day. So. Yeah, okay. Why don't we jump right into it? Um, so our hot topic for the week is we need to know, were you BSB fan? Or NSYNC. Uh, first of all, you phrase that as in past tense, okay? Oh, well, listen, there's some people that are not still currently into it, right? Well, that's lame. You guys should get a life. Uh, well, okay. Were slash are you a BSB you. maniac? Are you Backstreet's Back? Or were you a syncaholic? Okay, do you want to answer this first or do you want me to go first? Okay, I am ashamed to admit that I was by Banjul during that time. No, I was too. I dabbled in both for sure. Exactly. I loved BSB. Um, I mean, I... They had really good songs early on. I loved the Millennium Tour. All of them wearing oh. their white jackets in front of an airplane. Yes. That I was super into. And NSYNC early on, I feel like I was like, nah. you know, Justin's like ramen hair, like time phase. I was kind of like, mm. I mean, I liked them, but I didn't like love them. It was exciting to me when Topanga and Lance Bass were dating. Ended up not my favorite. I thought he was such a hottie. Who was Lance? Lance, yeah. Well, mm. clearly disappointment for you. Yeah, (laughs) what a rough time. But the time where I felt like NSYNC really came alive for me was like "Bye Bye Bye" and that entire album. No strings attached album. Yes, no strings attached and Dirty Pop. That was peak, 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 peak NSYNC like fandom. Um, I felt like, okay, actually, let's get into it. Who was your, if you picked your like boy toy of each band, because I had posters on my ceiling that I would lay in bed and be like, hi, I love you. You're a weirdo. My parents would not allow that. Uh, I bet you were so, an AJ. You were, weren't you? If I no, if I had to pick, I mean, like I said, Lance was definitely my favorite, and then I would say Justin Timberlake. I don't think. Okay, but I was, what about Backstreet? I was never like super into one of them. Well, what you, you have to pick one. That's the rules of the game, Chloe. Okay, Nick Carter, but only because okay. I loved Aaron Carter. <laughs> Oh my god, that is the most upsetting thing I've heard. You guys, next week is canceled. We're canceled indefinitely. I cannot believe this just I'm came. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I paid for the Aaron Carter fight, Aaron Carter and Lamar Odom, not that long ago. So I'm still look, my timer here. went off to tell me this is over. This We're is done. BS. We're done. <laughs> We're done with this. I can't believe that you just said Nick Carter is your favorite because of Aaron Carter. 
everyone only listened to Aaron Carter because it was Nick Carter's brother. Not the other way around. This is insanity. The other way around for me. (laughs) I would say, okay, I thought Nick Carter was cute, but like the longer his hair got, the more annoyed I got. Like, Mm -hmm. I just, it was a thing. But I would say Brian was my favorite Backstreet Boy. He seems like somebody that would be very nice to like hang out with. He seems very like down home, like chill, like a good person. And I felt like Kevin was like the weird older brother who just was kind of there because like Brian's mom said he had to be there kind of a deal, you know? So I wasn't like a fan of him, but I loved Brian. And then NSYNC, I freaking loved JC. He had my heart and soul forever. He seems very, like, sensitive and sweet. Yeah. And so when Justin shaved his head for, like, Dirty Pop, I was like, he's cute. But, like, ramen hair and then, like, a mop head afro thing that he had going on for No Strings Attached, I wasn't really, like, into that. But... I felt like he had like a playful like personality and that yeah. was like really intriguing and like fun to me. But in recent years and Chloe and I have discussed that we think that based on the things that we like see and read retrospectively. We, yeah. We kind of think that he was kind of a D bag, like pretending to be nice. We don't know what kind of a person Justin Timberlake is. And actually, really funny enough, I'll have to send you this article. It came up on my Apple News yesterday from Rolling Stone magazine. And literally the title of the article was something along the lines of um, why millennials are turning on Justin Timberlake. Like how basically like he turned into like such like a hated, like uh, cancelable person basically okay i do agree i feel like he he kind of made bank i'm getting emotional he made bank on slut shaming britney spears which was really aggravating to me i mean cry me a river was a fantastic song but basically its entire gain was for people to hate the crap out of her like that You told me that that song was about their breakup. I was so crushed because, like, I love that song, but I can't support that message. Well, did you watch – were you not watching TRL? The video had, like, a Britney Spears lookalike, and there was – I forget what the choreographer's name was that she and him had both worked with, that they had, like, a lookalike person that was who she was, like, allegedly cheating on him with, whether or not that's true. I don't know, but even if it is, I mean, then again, at the same time, Taylor Swift makes her money writing songs about the people who have burnt her in the past. So is it a double standard? Yeah, I. that's a tough one. It's also tough, though, because on the flip side, I feel like it's different, though, for Taylor because she does it because people like give her so much hate cause she's dated like everybody, which fine. I mean, I really don't care if I could date all these like hot famous dudes. I would too. Like, why would you even deny that? You know what I mean? I don't know. Here's the other part of it. Taylor Swift is writing her own music. I don't know that Justin Timberlake is. Right. So I, if he is paying someone to <laughs> throw shade at someone else, that is kind of different. It is. Um, I guess my only issue is if all of these new generation people are coming at us elderly folk, me, you're allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to say the wrong thing, be the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Because uh, like as the standards changed, that wasn't the standard then. It maybe was wrong, but we didn't realize that we were doing damage. So like constantly being like, you're a piece of shit because you said X, Y, and Z then. Okay, well, then everyone said it. I didn't like looking back, you're like, ooh, yeah, that's really not a cool phrase. 
But yeah. you weren't doing it from a malicious point. You just didn't know any better. And when you, like Oprah says, when you know better, you can do better. Exactly. We didn't. So, but I do kind of think that he's a D-bag. Well, and I that think hurts that my heart. Was, yeah. So, in conclusion, <laughs> both of us liked both bands. I would say I would have gone more to the NSYNC side. If you had to pick I, one, who would you pick? I, I would pick NSYNC over them. Okay. So drop us a line. Let us know where you fall on this. Backstreet Boys in sync. You I can also tell us all the places we can do that at. I want to hit a pause button and tell you that when I was growing up, one of like the kids that I knew, like she was, we belonged to a German club in <laughs> Sheboygan. I just, I can't okay, say. <laughs> I feel like all of the stuff I'm about to say feels real weird and like someone is going to be like, did I just have a stroke hearing this? I used to belong to a German folk dancing club that my parents signed me up in. So I would German folk dance. And there was a girl who that like we knew and I was super close with her cousins and she was older than my sister. So like I was friends with her, but it wasn't like I was best friends with her or anything. So when I was super young, before like the age gap kind of like separates you, you know, when there's like older kids, when you're younger, everyone's, it's just kids. And then the older you get, they're more like, that's a baby. So before that happened, like she would be at birthday parties and stuff. She, her uncle was, um, I almost called him a pyromaniac, a pyrotech. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. for a lot of like tours and bands and stuff. And one of the groups that he was a pyrotech for was NSYNC. And she got to meet them backstage. She had met, she really loved like Chris Kirkpatrick. And I remember being, well, I was always like, why would you like him? I don't know. His hair always reminded me of a pineapple when he had like those braids and he would, but she loved Chris Kirkpatrick and I was like so envious like that she got to meet these people multiple times. Oh, I bet. And she was older than me. So I already kind of was like, Oh, she's so cool. You know how like when you're younger and there's like that older person, but like factor in like she knows NSYNC and I was like, she's the coolest person ever. Like I wish I could meet someone. I I never met them, but that's okay. hilarious. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, on that note, it is time for us to go. Check us out on Instagram at Maniacally Midwest. Check us out on YouTube. I need to get on updating our YouTube thing because I've just had a few struggles. And <laughs> send us emails, maniaclymidwest at gmail.com. Give us a review, a rating. Don't forget to like and subscribe our YouTube channel. And that's all we got for you. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.